Well, for most of this summer, we are going to do exactly that. We are going to explore God. And one of our values here as a church is that we would explore faith in God, and that's not just a one-time event, that's a lifetime event. And so that's what we're going to do over this summer. We're going to ask some very important questions. Questions like, is there a God? Is the Bible reliable? Is Jesus really God? Is Christianity too narrow? Can I know God personally? Why should I read the Bible? Does life have purpose? Why do I need community? And how can I be committed in an uncommitted world? And and we're going to look through those questions this summer, and it's going to be a bit of a journey together. We're going to start that today. Uh, How many of you this summer are going to go on vacation somewhere? Raise your hand. (laughs) All right. How many of you are not going on vacation anywhere? Raise your hand. Do I maybe do a staycation? Well, hey, would you turn to your neighbor real quick and tell them where you're going to go on vacation, or if you're not going on vacation, tell them where you'd like to go on vacation, all right? All right, anybody going anywhere, some, someplace interesting, S- somewhere interesting? I'm not talking Kentucky. Anybody? Where? El Salvador. <laughs> Super interesting. Indiana. Somebody, first hour is going to West Virginia, wild and wonderful, right? Well, uh, starting tomorrow, we are going to take a guy trip with some of our family uh, members, and we are going to Quetico, Canada in a camping, hiking, canoeing, fishing trip. And I, I think that I've gone camping before, but I think. I have not really gone camping until I experienced filtering my water out of the middle of a lake, right? And so that's the kind of trip that this is going to be. And people have very interesting reactions to a trip like that. Some people say, man, that's great. I wish I could go with you. And some people are like 50 miles canoeing, hiking, drinking filtered lake water, mosquitoes. Why would you do that? In fact, Rebecca uh, last night I was sewing my sleeping bag. I noticed there was a big hole in that. And uh, yes, I do sew sometimes. Thank you very much. It's not unmanly to sew something. So stop. All right. So I'm sewing this thing and uh, putting it back together. And, and then it dawns on me, I might need this spool of thread and needle for the trip. So I'll throw that in my prep bag. Because, because why? Because somebody might rip something, you know. Or they might, like, what if they get a gash and we have to, like, sew that sucker up? You know what I mean? I mean, there's no, this is, this is, this is Canada. There's not, like, a Mountie every mile or whatever. And, and so I told Rebecca that, that we might need to stitch somebody up. And she goes, okay, so for whatever thought I had before that I might want to go on a trip like this, that's out. It's out now. Not going ever. And, uh, but some of the guys who are going on the trip are experienced. Uh, They know what they're doing. In fact, they've made this exact trip before, and so they know what to expect, and they're really looking forward to it. Some of the guys that are going on this trip have been on trips like this, but they haven't been to this place. And so, likewise, they have a lot of anticipation. And some of the guys are going, they haven't ever been camping, ever. And so it's all new to them, and they may even have a little bit of fear. I mean, there are bears up there. And people have asked me, what would you do if there are bears up there? I say, well, a couple of the guys on our trip are a little bit robust. They're fat guys, sort of. And I just need to run faster than they do, that's all. And then all is well. We'll come home with less 
Less people. It's fine. It's funny now. <laughs> it's funny now. Anyway, but some of you guys, as we engage these questions this summer, uh, you've been there before. Uh, you, are, you are seasoned in the faith. The information that we give will not be new to you, but you're excited to take this journey again because you know a little bit about what to expect. But some of you, you are brand new to the faith, you're brand new to these ideas, you are a novice when it comes to this, and as we take this journey this summer, maybe there's even a little bit of fear, because you're like, look, if God's real, this is going to have some pretty major implications in my life. So why would we take a journey like this? Why would we ask big questions? Well, one of the reasons is because God blesses those who do this. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He does what? Rewards those who earnestly seek Him. If you have your Bible today and you're noting that, or you're writing it in your notes, that's worth underlining. God rewards or He blesses those who seek Him. He rewards them, and I love that. You want to be blessed by God? Then seek God. You want to be blessed by God? Then explore faith in God. Seek Him throughout your life. Continue to ask big questions in your life, and God will bless you for it. Not only that, Jeremiah 29, 13, he says this little principle, you will seek me, and you will find me when you do what? Seek me with all your heart. So God says, I want to be known. I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. And I'm not going to be a hidden God. I'm not going to be a distant God. I want you to know me. Therefore, I'm going to make it accessible uh, to you. God wants you to know Him. Now, I think one of the best places to learn about a known God is in a different setting, in a different time, and it's in the center, the epicenter of philosophy, Athens, Greece. And in the first century, Athens, Greece was the place where the greatest philosophers of all the world met together to debate and discuss the biggest questions of life. People like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. And the Apostle Paul, in the first century, entered into that arena because he knew what to expect, he knew what they would be talking about, and he wanted to tell them about a God that they could actually know. So Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to read a lot of these verses today uh, with you. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, for Timothy and Silas, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And I'll just pause there for a second and just say Paul was distressed by what? By the fact that his, this city, the city of Athens, they were religious people, but they weren't really finding God. And this distressed him. And I just want to ask you, when was the last time you were distressed by the fact that people that you knew in the marketplace that you were in Maybe they were seeking or maybe they weren't and they were not finding because they were seeking in the wrong way or the wrong thing. And not only that, not only when was the last time you were distressed by it, but realize that Paul, it says he went to the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, so he was going to church, but then he was also going in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. His faith wasn't centered just around what happened in the synagogue, it was centered in what was happening in the marketplace as well, and he wanted to be an impact in that marketplace, much like the high school seniors that we celebrated this morning They are now going into the marketplace. They are going into an an arena not too unlike the philosophers of the first century. 
And it says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. I was going to say that's what my wife has often said to me. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? But anyway, now that I've passed that moment, it's not as funny, but um, it went in, it had to come out. I I don't know, but anyway. All right, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. I like verse 21, parentheses, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So here we are in the epicenter of philosophy, and all they do is debate and talk about the newest and latest ideas. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. It's a gentle opening. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. And I love that he picked up on their own thoughts and feelings. I had a professor in college, Christian college, ministry professor, who said, students, you always need to start with where your people are, meaning you need to build a bridge from where they are to whatever you, it is that you're teaching them. And, and that's what Paul did. He found a bridge. Those of you who study Greek mythology, you know there were many gods in the Greek world, and they thought... Uh, much about this, but they didn't want to offend the gods, and so they created an altar or an idol with one that said the unknown god. Just in case they forgot one, they certainly wouldn't want to offend anybody. And so they wrote that, and so Paul used that as an object lesson. And it says, so you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. In other words, you don't know this God. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So he sets up his talk. Paul says, you have all these gods, and you think you know them, but you have one that you don't know. I want to tell you about him. Verse 24 says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. This is his intro. I'm going to tell you about him. He's the God of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. In other words, these idols and statues that you have, you've got to clean them and dust them. God doesn't need that. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Seek him. Reach for him. Find him. Although he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In other words, God's in charge, and he, you are his offspring, and he wants a relationship with you. This is his talk to the philosophers of that day. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Friends, I have never understood this. Why would people make idols and then worship something that they made with their own hands? It doesn't make any sense. 
the only way I can rationalize it at all is to know that there is a God-shaped hole in every heart that only God can fill. But the very fact that there's a God-shaped hole in our heart means that they want to fill it with something, and so they try to create God in their image. And I love what Paul does here. This is where he starts to lower the boom. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Boom. In other words, I set you up nicely, but I want to now lower the boom on you, and here's the deal. God, the God of the universe, who made you, who created you, who died for you, who resurrected for you, he wants you to know him, and by the way, he won't tolerate your ignorance anymore. I love that. That's a turn in a message. Verse 31 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world who by justice, with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul goes right to the heart of the matter. The unknown God that you do not know can be knowable. He created you. He loves you. He designed you. He gave his life for you. He then resurrected from the grave. Now, I want to pause on that story for a minute and simply reflect Because I want to consider how we approach this journey that we're taking this summer as we ask these big questions. And I want us to think about our motives. And I want us to learn from Paul and what he did here. And by the way, the same principles apply not only to your own faith journey, but to the faith journey of those that you want to help lead to Christ. And it applies to the seniors that we celebrated today as they go into the marketplace or into their own areas of philosophy. And here's what I think Paul did. First of all, he was very intentional. You've heard the phrase, everybody ends up somewhere, but some people end up there on purpose. Most of Paul's Christian life was very intentional, and in Acts chapter 17 is a glimpse into that because he goes to a specific city, and he goes with a certain agenda, and he understands something about that culture as he goes, and he goes with the intention of sharing his faith with other people in that arena of the greatest thinkers of his day. And he went with this kind of intention, and I want to encourage you, If you're going to go anywhere on your spiritual journey, go with intentionality. Go with intentionality for your own growth. Be in a place of worship on Sunday, absolutely, because that's part of an intentional plan. Be in a community group where you're learning with other believers in Christ. Join a core group out of that where you're learning the discipleship principles. And as you get into that, especially as we enter the fall, I want to encourage all of you to do that so that you are very intentional. But then also be studying on your own. Be learning on your own. Be studying through the Scripture on your own. Be intentional about these questions as we go through them this summer. Don't just rely on what we say. Study on these topics during the summer on your own. And then come in here prepared. So be very intentional about that. Not only that, be very intentional about your engagement of other people. In other words, see every conversation through the eyes of the potential of a spiritual conversation because you just love to talk about it. How many of you are Cleveland Cavalier fans? Raise your hand. That was terrible the other night. I'm not even like a huge fan, but I was so into that game. I I was not happy at all with the last five minutes of how that went down. The referee was pretty atrocious, and I was not good with that. And suddenly, I was, I mean, it's 51 points, and I mean, LeBron James, top five scorer in the finals. Like, you know, there's Eldrin, whatever, Baylor, and all these guys, Michael Jordan. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. So I'm talking about it with people. And uh, if you're a big Cavaliers fan, you're probably talking about that with people too. And I say, well, look, if you're a fan of something, you talk about it. And if you are a believer or follower of Jesus, 
This should be something that's on your mind. You should have spiritual conversations with people. You should look for opportunities to open windows and doors. And even with your own family, your kids, as they ask questions, look for ways to insert Christ into what is happening in their life. Look for ways to ask well-placed spiritual questions. So be intentional, but secondly, be, be prepared. Be prepared. Really have some knowledge about what you're talking about. You know, we're going on this camping trip, and who knew you had to buy so much stuff? I went to Walmart the other day. I spent 250 bucks. I don't even know on what, like trail mix? I'm like, I had no idea trail mix was so expensive. I'm not exaggerating. Not one item on my list was over like 15 bucks. And, I, and when she said 250, I went, are you serious? Are you serious? Like the collapsible bowls for camping? That's, how much is that? That's ridiculous. That's like a dollar something. Did I buy 250 of those? I mean, I could not fathom it. I bought things on Amazon for this trip. Who knew you had to do so much preparation? Mosquito nets, very important. DEET, water filtration systems, canteens, collapsible bowls, wipies. Critical, I understand, on a camping trip. I don't know fully why, but I think I'm going to understand. Headlamps and everything else. Now, when you are setting out on a journey, you need to have basic preparation. Paul went to Athens with the purpose of preaching the gospel, and he went prepared. And one thing we need to do to prepare is personal study. And don't, again, don't just rely on us. There are so many great resources on these big questions. You need to be ready and prepared. Here's what Peter said. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Paul was prepared, but he was also bold. He was bold. Listen, it can be intimidating to tackle deep questions of faith, both internally and then with other people. It can also be intimidating to answer those big questions that your friends have, your family have, or even your children have. That's why you need to be prepared. And my experience is most believers in Jesus don't have a good baseline understanding of why they believe what they believe. And I know this based on experience. When I teach at a local university, I always, no, I don't care what the class is. I teach a philosophy class, by the way, believe it or not. I don't even know anything about philosophy. They're like, you could teach this class. I'm like, okay. So they gave me the textbook. It's like that. They're like, you could teach this. You know what I did? I went to Half Price Books. I bought a, I bought a book called The Incredible Complexities of Philosophy Made Simple. I was like, Boom, sold. That's it right there. That's all I need. But luckily, the philosophy course is philosophy and Christian thought. So I just give them the top three ideas in philosophy, tell a little bit about what the philosophers say on it, show a couple videos, makes me feel good like I actually go over these guys, and then the rest of the class I spend on the Christian faith. All right? So even with that, that's how we handle that. But when it comes to the New Testament, Old Testament, or Bible themes, I always, it doesn't matter the class, I always start with the same thing. On the whiteboard, I just put G-O-D, question mark, every class. And I go, so how many of you believe in God? A lot of hands. I go, okay, if you believe in God, why do you believe in God? And they go, um, uh, it's like dead silent for a while. And then they go, well, uh, my grandmother told me so, you know, it was the faith that I grew up with. I'm like, eh, that's wrong. Nope, you're stupid. Um, that's not right. And we go on up to, it's not quite that bad, but it's close. But uh, we go down through the list. You get, everybody gets an A in my class, by the way, if you do your work at all, but you will get slammed in the middle of the class sometimes. Just expect it, okay? So then we go down through the list. They go, well, I don't know because I feel God. I'm like, well, that's a stupid answer too. Why? Because you could say, well, I feel sick today, and, or I feel I had a bad burrito. I don't know. Why do you believe what you believe? People don't know. 
And so we start with that, and then we go through a defense of God. And if they don't know that, they certainly don't know, well, why do I believe the Bible's true? Or why do I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? How do I defend that to people? And how do I put it in a way that actually makes sense? I'm telling you, there's a reason to believe what we believe, but you need to be able to process it enough and be prepared. And, and there have been opportunities that I have made right. I could tell you right now, 10 stories of times where I have worked with people, and the questions have come up. And we have walked away, both in class, but also in just everyday conversation with people, where God has kind of been inserted in the conversation, and it ends up in a really deep kind of place. I could tell you a lot of those stories, but I could tell you more stories of times where I've blown it. And two of them happened this week. I had a conversation with a good friend who grew up Muslim, but doesn't really practice anymore. And we were catching up and talking about Sherry and her death and life, and, and in the middle of that... He was talking about views of heaven and things like this, and I was just listening, and I, I didn't really think through the eyes of a spiritual conversation, and, and he said this phrase, I'm not a religious man, and then he goes on and makes this point. And it wasn't until I started driving home that I started thinking, that was a missed opportunity, because I just sat there silently. I should have said, I'm not a religious man either. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. It's the do's and the don'ts, the rules, the regulations. It's our bridge to build to God. What I should have said was, you know what, I don't really have a religion either. I have a relationship with God because God wants a relationship with me. And then he said, a little bit later in the conversation, as we're still talking about heaven and all this stuff, he's talking about his concept of God. And he said, God really is bigger than what any of us know. He's not really known, I'm sure, by all of us. His point was, there are many things about God we probably get wrong. And I sort of nodded in acknowledgement. And, and then as I drove away, I thought what I should have said was, you know, the only reason we know anything about God at all is not because of our pursuit, but because God chose to reveal himself to us through acts in nature, through the word of God, and ultimately through Jesus showing up. What would be better than God of the universe making an introduction of himself to us? Well, that would have been a whole lot more creative. I'll get it right next time. But what I would say is, many of us walk into conversations like that very unprepared and unwilling and un unable to answer the questions that are presented to us. And so Paul enters this scenario with these Athenian intellectuals, and he shares the idea of the one true God that they can actually know. The Bible says this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Let's go back to the story. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Very interesting to me. Three reactions to the message that Paul gave. The first reaction was outright rejection. I don't believe it. I don't think you're telling the truth, and I just sneer at you. And there will be people, and don't be surprised, that when you have spiritual conversations, they just outright reject you. Be prepared for that. Don't take it personally, and uh, you'll be able to move on, and so will they, but just know that's going to happen. You're going to get rejected. And secondly, there was some procrastination. Uh, they say, we want to hear you on this subject again, someday. And come in back and talk about it again. In other words, just like you said about the Athenians earlier, there are people who said, we want to talk about things, but we don't actually do anything. 
And let me just talk to you for a second, because I think there are people in this room. Maybe you're not outright rejecting, but you are procrastinating. There are people in this room today that have sat in this room and heard the ideas and read the scripture. But they've been unwilling to make a spiritual decision. They, they, don't, they haven't made a first-time decision. They haven't been baptized into Christ. Or they haven't repented of their sin. Or they haven't said yes to Jesus. Or they haven't made some other move that they know that they need to make in their life. They're procrastinating. And I don't know, but I think Jesus addressed this. He said, probably it's time to get off the fence. He said, I'd rather you be hot or I'd rather be cold and rejected altogether. But this lukewarm stuff is not for me. He said, it makes me want to puke. It makes me want to throw up out of my mouth. And that's a very vivid image that Jesus portrays there. And so what I would say to those of you who are thinking about things, it's good to think for a while. It's good to study. But study with a goal. Study with a goal of decision. And so during this series, I want to encourage you guys over the next several weeks, if you have never made a decision for Christ, use this series as an opportunity to ask the big questions. And when the answers come back and they come back with a, with a great deal of clarity, you need to do something with the answers that you receive. Don't just think about these things. Don't procrastinate. And then he said some believed and their life was changed forever. And he talks about the people. And God only knows the story of their life and the generations and the legacy that they left because of that one moment where Paul entered the thinkers of the day in Athens, presented the message of the gospel, and people were changed because he shared that message. The family of Dionysius, Demarius, and others. So what does your legacy look like? What's your family tree look like? What do the friends around you look like? Are you intentional with them? Are you prepared And finally, are you bold? Are you courageous in your sharing of your faith with people? Are you looking for opportunities or are you studying on your own? That's what we're going to do this summer. So just get ready, get prepared, even in your own mind as we go through this journey together. Take your notes down. Put it in a way that makes sense to you so that then you'll be able to share it with other people and then change, literally change the legacy of your family and of those around you. God, we pray today. As we hear this message, I'm sure that there are probably these three reactions even in this room. There will be some that reject it for whatever reason, and they may not believe it, or they may not want to study it, or what have you, God. And so I just pray that you would, um, as you approach those individuals, that they would begin to be open to hearing the message. Then, God, there are those who have just put it off. They haven't made decisions. They've heard the message so many times. They know they need to, but God, they've just kind of pushed it aside. And God, I pray whatever the spiritual decisions we need to make, whether it be a first-time decision or maybe a decision to do something for you that they haven't done before or, or maybe join a ministry in some way or make some impact, help us get off the fence, God. And then finally, Lord, for those who are in this room, who are in that third group, they believe you, they love you, they honor you. I pray this would be a time of refreshing. A time to remember why we believe what we believe. God, help us on this journey, we pray in Jesus' name.